from fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, you are listening to the Walkertown Report. Hello and welcome to the Walkertown Report. As more and more cities and states are opening up after the lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, many businesses uh, tend to have different challenges than other businesses. And today I'm going to focus on the Harry Money Erotic Heritage Museum, which is located in Las Vegas. The Harry Money Erotic Heritage Museum contains everything from archaeological finds to ancient manuscripts and writings by people like the Marquis de Sade, uh, displays about certain notorious personalities like uh, Elizabeth Bathory, who was known for uh, bathing in blood because she thought it would keep her skin pure. Their painting, it does bring things up to speed to our current time as well, with various displays celebrating the many different lifestyles from uh, polyamory to LBGTQ. There is an exhibit on adult theaters and adult movies from the 60s and 70s, and I was struck at this display of an adult movie theater, um, and you'll notice that there's a poster featuring Hayapesha Lee, who, in addition to being a legend in the adult entertainment industry, was my first celebrity interview. And believe it or not, when I had her on my show back in the early 90s, we didn't even talk about the adult video industry. My father is the one who is of a strict Baptist background, Southern Baptist upbringing, you know, the, no shorts for the girls, no cards, no red dresses, oh, and no dancing is sinful. Yeah, a whole nine yards, yeah. So um, they noticed that I was depressed and going to church, you know, six or seven days a week. Of course, the minister was brought in to, you know, what is the depression here? And, you know, I felt like I had some camaraderie built up there after a little bit of time with this particular preacher. And he, you know, I, I confided in with him what had happened to me with my stepfather, um, the sexual abuse and things like that. And he said, well, let's pray for your forgiveness for your sins. For your forgiveness. Uh, wait a minute. I'm 12 years old here. You know, you're telling me my forgiveness for my sins? I think we're talking about this man here that did something. And it was like, well, honor thy mother and thy father, and thou shalt not question authority. And all of this does bear mentioning because... There is a display at the museum dedicated to those who have been sexually abused and are trying to come to terms with positive views regarding their sexual identity without all the false shame that religious and uh, societal dogmas may inflict upon us. There's also another display dedicated to women who have sexually abused minors as well, and most of those have been teachers. When you enter the museum, one of the first displays you see is one called Sinners, which shows the scandals that a number of politicians and religious figures and others have fallen into. So I got a chance to speak with the director of the Erotic Museum, Victoria Hartman, and asked her about that. Well, that was actually uh, Mr. Money's brainchild. Um, he's been dealing with the law and the Supreme Court and Congress and so forth his entire career. And uh, one of the things I think that he's trying to communicate with that exhibit is how our leaders, religious, political, or otherwise, want us to live our lives a certain way 
um, especially when it comes to sex. They'll legislate sex. They will penalize sex. They will uh, outlaw sex toys, sex films, what have you. And yet, if you look into their lives, they're doing the same thing. They're watching pornography. They're having affairs. So, Miss, I think Mr. Mone's intentions with that exhibit was to point out the hypocrisy of our leaders and how they legislate our bodies and yet don't uh, adhere to the same legislation and the same rules and the same divine laws as they tell us to live by. And so I think that was his point behind that exhibit. So it's still here. <laughs> I asked her how she would describe this museum to those who weren't familiar with it. Well, the Erotic Heritage Museum's history was built on a relationship between Mr. Money, my boss, and uh, Dr. Ted McElvena, who was a Methodist minister in San Francisco, who was a, a big advocate for LGBT rights, especially gay rights, in San Francisco in the 60s. And they befriended one another and stayed friends and decided that together they wanted to preserve as much erotic heritage as they could together um, because a lot of it's destroyed by mainstream museums and so forth. So they built this museum and um, that mission has continued. That's our job too, is uh, to preserve erotic history. And that includes anything from artifacts, which are, I think the oldest ones we have date back to 1500 BCE, and uh, also artwork. Not so much modern artwork. We do have some modern art galleries here, but most of it is uh, really old art. Um, we have some pieces that are four or 500 years old here. Um, and the whole focus is on the, the science and art of erotica. You might be interested to know that this is not the only erotic museum around. There are several all over the world. Actually, the Erotic Heritage Museum is part of a consortium of erotic museums around the world. Um, we are um, in affiliation with the uh, Sex Museum in Amsterdam. Um, we're in affiliation with the Sex Museum in Barcelona. Uh, we did have an affiliation with the Paris Erotic Museum. Unfortunately, that closed a couple of years ago and everything was auctioned off. It was one of the... I would argue that that was the best of all of us. That the Paris Museum was just lovely and was the oldest one. Um, but as for how many erotic museums, well, there's the Phallological Museum in Iceland that the museum is looking to have a relationship with. Um, there are several in Asia. I'm not so sure about places like Russia or the Middle East. Um, and then uh, we have ours here. There was one in Hollywood that unfortunately closed. Uh, there's one in New York. Um, but most of it are like small galleries and collections. Um, and I think there's also an erotic museum in Thailand, but that's more like a sculpture park. And it's a sculpture park of a bunch of penis uh, sculptures. So <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but I don't know you would call that a museum. <laughs> People do seem to think of Las Vegas as a socially liberal, freewheeling place. But you'll be surprised. The Erotic Heritage Museum has actually received pushback from the city of Las Vegas. Yep, uh, actually, um, what was it, about a year ago, uh, well, actually two things happened. Um, one was a little bit before my time. When we first opened, we had some murals out on the south uh, side of the building. And those were murals of um, topless cartoon characters. And the city descended on the museum and said, no, 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 um, that's obscenity. You have to cover that up. And so we put pasties on the nipples of the cartoon characters. Um, eventually those pasties fell off and the cartoon characters were exposed again, but they never came back around to, to cite us or anything. Um, 
And those were, ended up being covered up by the puppetry, uh, our advertisements that we have now, the puppetry, the penis show that we have here. Um, and the second time was uh, there was an organization out of Denver who was hosting the world's largest orgy about a year ago. And uh, it was featured on uh, Stephen Colbert on The Tonight Show. And it exposed their relationship with the embassy suites and the parent company of the embassy suites ended up canceling the entire booking. So um, they, we approached them and said, hey, we'd like to sponsor you or work with you in some fashion. And they were like, can we have the orgy there? And uh, once we announced that, um, and we were going to close the museum to the public. It was only going to be for the attendees, and they were basically renting the, the building out. Uh, I was visited by Vice, by uh, Las Vegas PD. Um, I got calls from our attorneys that the city government had called our attorneys. Um, and then I got another visit from Vice, and then we had to bring on our, uh, one of our ACLU attorneys, the same gentleman that defended the Green Door uh, here in town. And um, at the last minute, the uh, folks who were organizing it got a cease and desist, and they moved it to the green door like an hour before the event. So, yeah, uh, Vegas is actually a lot more conservative than you would think. Yep. The green door is not the only sex club in Las Vegas. There's also the Red Rooster and another place called the Studios, as well as several other smaller groups that might meet in people's homes. How will COVID-19 affect the alternative sex clubs as well as all the various lifestyles that are out there? That's the $64 million question. Um, COVID-19 has affected dating. It's affected the swingers. It's affected um, hookup culture. It's affected a lot of people because, um, you know, unlike HIV where you can, if you're meeting up with a hookup partner and you can take PrEP for it or you can take suppression medications that make you undetectable and untransmissible, um, you can test for it, right? Um, COVID, you can't test for. Um, you could be infected and test negative. Uh, you could be symptom asymptomatic. So you don't know if you have it, if you have no symptoms, but you could pass it on to someone else. and. My understanding is from folks that I speak to, other sexologists and people that are in uh, that study sexuality, it has basically created two camps of people. You either have the folks that have absolutely just shut down their sex life, or they are um, living with a partner that they have they're sort of in a monogamous situation, or you have the risk takers who are basically like either this is fake and I'm not going to um, be worried about it, or uh, a lot of women are, are reporting being pressured on dating apps like Tinder and so forth to meet up uh, to have sex with men who um, just want to have sex and are throwing caution to the wind. And a lot of women are complaining about that. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there's, there's been two camps that have been created out of this whole situation. Yeah, and the rubbers aren't going to protect you from COVID-19. No, uh, no, 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 So, you know, we're hookup culture. Even if you didn't ask someone what their HIV status or STI status was, condoms were a default. Well, unless you're going to wear a body condom and it's going to cover you from head to toe, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's, it's creating a lot of short-term relationships, say people that didn't really know each other very well or that had just recently met on a dating app. They have like quarantine and chill. So someone is like quarantining with someone for two or three months that they don't really know um, as a sexual partner. And then when the quarantine's over, they're going to move on. So it's, it's been an interesting uh, change in dating 
and uh, hookup culture. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when AIDS uh, started happening back in the early '80s, and. Um, the gay community seemed to come together, but then when I spoke to people who were in the swing community, I was surprised. I, I really thought that because they would be in the alternative lifestyle department anyway, that they would say, yes, we need to, you know, we don't know a lot about this. We need to protect ourselves. But, yeah, I mean, it was like dealing with fundamentalist Christians, you know? Yeah, it was the gay disease for a very long time. Uh -huh. And, uh, or coined by the heterosexual community as the gay disease for a really long time. And... And admittedly, the gay community is way ahead, even today, of um, testing. They're way ahead on testing. They're way ahead on uh, medications. So um, gay culture embraced the um, suppression medications and the uh, PrEP medications 10 years ago. So they're able to, they have almost returned to normal in terms of their lifestyles and so forth, whereas the heterosexual community still not only um, considers itself immune and is only the really the adult straight community has been embracing these kinds of medications and preventatives and testing protocols, but mainstream heterosexual society, not really, no. Wow. And the medications are hard to get. If you're a heterosexual woman who's in a low-risk lifestyle, you know, who's married and maybe occasionally swings with her husband or whatever, um, your gynecologist is unlikely to prescribe you PrEP because you're low risk, right? Um, so the heterosexual community has a lot to catch up on. Yeah. So how does the museum hope to overcome the challenges brought by COVID-19? There are a lot of people that, uh, people aren't aware that a lot of adult uh, magnates, you know, folks in the adult industry who uh, have either done really well with webcamming or whatever, the owners of these companies, they have set up their own foundations, so we're approaching them to see if they'll um, um, contribute to the museum or sponsor a, an exhibit. So we're going for funding just like any other museum. We're just going a little bit of a different route. So yeah. Here at the museum, we have a, a science-based public health perspective and um, I mean there's opinion and there's fact and the fact is with things like mask um, when you are ill and you are coughing and you have a mask on you are blocking that particle material that virus material from getting out of, out into the air and splashing onto someone else's face I mean that's the facts so um, that's kind of where our perspective is, is that we're very rooted in a public health perspective and people can have their opinions all day long but you know what we try to do here is stick to the facts. Long-term mission of course is to preserve um, erotic artifacts and art to explore the science of sexuality so our first floor is mostly science-based there's some history but there's mostly science downstairs and then upstairs is our art, our artifacts, paintings, etc. Um, as for the future I think our mission is going to be the same what it might look like is a little different. We're exploring some very high-profile media options um, for exposure. Um, we're considering moving uh, to a different location. Um, so the museum and its mission itself, I think, is going to carry on, and that's that's my job here. You know, at some point, Mr. Money won't be around anymore. At some point, I won't either, and that's not the point. Um, the point is, is the mission of the museum and that it will carry on beyond when Mr. Money's no longer around, beyond when I'm no longer around, or the staff that's here now is no longer around. The point of the museum is to preserve these precious artifacts and, and art pieces and the science of it um, because there's willful intention to destroy this stuff by 
politicians, conservatives, um, you know, uh, um, religious conservatives, and so forth. And studying sexuality and studying the art and history of sexuality gives you perspective into different cultures, different time periods, and how people think and feel about sexuality. And that's not something you can get necessarily from an academic study, right? So just like it's important to preserve other cultural artifacts, it's important to preserve those that relate to sex as well because we can learn so much about ourselves and our humanity through that. So if you're ever in Las Vegas and you want to see something a little different, visit the Harry Money Erotic Heritage Museum, which is at 3275 South Sammy Davis Jr. Drive, Las Vegas, Nevada at 89109 or you can visit their museum at eroticmuseumvegas.com Once again, that's eroticmuseumvegas.com Thank you for listening to the Walkertown Report. Links to any product discussed on the Walkertown Report may be found in the description. If you do not have access to the description, please visit walkertown.com for more information. Thank you for listening to the Walkertown Report.